Thank you, worship team. If you have a Bible, let me encourage you to join me in the book of 1 John. 1 John. It's different than the Gospel of John. If you start in Revelation and make your way backwards just a few books, you'll be able to find it. This past week, I had the opportunity to sit next to a man on an airplane. His name was Jeremy. I was actually tired and I didn't want to talk. <laughs> I, uh, I really just wanted to sit, sit and uh, put my head back and go to sleep. And this man uh, just started a conversation. And so when, when people uh, start a conversation with me on an airplane or are, are willing to have a conversation with me on an airplane, I always look for an opportunity to, to share Christ with him. He was a financial consultant, and I told him numbers of times, I'm a pastor, I don't have any money. Uh, no, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. He's a financial consultant. He was telling me all about uh, the things that he did and, and traveling. And when I mentioned that I'm a pastor, you know, that, that always changes things really quick. Um, it changes, changes the words that he chose not to use any longer or apologize for using them. Um, but as we began to talk, I, I asked him, I said, well, what do you believe about the Lord? And he said, oh, well, he said, my parents were very religious people, and, uh, and I go to church on the holy days. And I said, okay, so what do you believe about God? And he's like, well, I, I believe in God. And we couldn't get a whole lot further than the fact that he really be, be, had a belief in God. And, and it seemed to me like I kept trying to... Stephen's right behind you there, Mom. Oh, there's, oh, there's Bambi, though. Okay, sorry. <laughs> it, it seemed like I, was, I, I couldn't get him to, to, to see, and I was, I was trying to be very kind, of course, but when you believe in something, there should be a result in your life because of that belief. And so today I want, I want to talk a little bit about the word belief, and, and we're going to be in in the book of first john and, and and we've been here for a couple of weeks if you if you've not been with us and i know if it's been two weeks since i've preached but i just want to give you just a little bit of a review the book of first john was written by the same author as the gospel of john but they were written for two very different reasons but the author tells us why he wrote the gospel of john was written so that people can know how to be saved it was all about the conversion of sinners and near the end of the gospel, John actually writes this, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Notice the word believe, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. But he wrote the, the letter of 1 John for a different reason. It was not about how to be saved, it was how to know you are saved. He says this in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So the gospel of John is how you can, how you can be saved. The letter of 1 John is how you can know you are saved. But both of the verses, you'll notice even in 1 John 13, 1 John 5, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. 
In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, you find very early on, again, this word believe, where John says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Born of God by believing in the name of Jesus. Eternal life by believing in the name of Jesus. But what does this word believe really mean? Because people believe in all sorts of things. My guess is if you have children, you're probably going to watch a movie of some sorts, uh, like Polar Express, or, or even we were watching Elf last night, and near the, end of, near the end of Elf, he can't get the sleigh up, up, up. It can't get up because there was no, not enough belief in a man in a red suit. There's, there's people who believe in fictitious characters like the Easter Bunny or Superman. There's people who believe the Washington football team are actually going to win. <laughs> or the Cowboys, <laughs> for that matter, right? There's some people who believe, they really believe this, that more money or a new job is going to bring the happiness that they truly want. They believe that. There's people who believe that an affair or getting out of a marriage is the answer to finally getting what I want. When it comes to religion, there's many beliefs. There's, there's people who believe that there are multiple gods. There's people who believe there is no God. There are people who believe that if they get in an airplane and crash into a building, that there will be 70 virgins awaiting them upon their death. They believe that. As Christians, however, we look at what the Word of God says, and it says if you believe in the name of the Son of God, you can receive eternal life, and you can become a child of God. Yet how many people do we know that say, I, I believe in God, and I, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. But you know, that kind of a belief is not a saving belief. Because that actually puts you on the same plane as a demon. I find these such strange verses. But in James chapter 2, James says, You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So hey, a belief in God is not really all that impressive. The demons believe that. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus was healing many people, including casting out demons. And, and in verse 41, we read, Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God. So they knew who he was. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. But these demons, they believe that Jesus was the Son of God and that he was the Messiah, but having a belief of who Jesus is is not saving belief. Even seeing Jesus as Lord is not enough. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus himself says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Your head should explode, right? Because it says, if you believe in the name of the Son of God, you shall be. And Jesus says, no, you call me Lord and you did things in my name and I don't know you. So if demons recognize Jesus as the Messiah and as the Son of God, and they don't have eternal life, and if people who call Jesus Lord and can perform miracles in his name do not have eternal life, how do I know that my belief in God leads to eternal life and to be a child of God? And that is exactly why the book of 1 John was written. For people who are wondering, because John did not want people to have to worry or to wonder or to to fret, am am I truly a child of God? He wanted people to know that they know. Why would this be important to John? Because it's important to God. God. What father doesn't want his children to find security in knowing they are being cared for, loved, and secure? I I remember being a child at the zoo. I was looking at the animals, but it was every couple of seconds, maybe more like every couple minutes, I don't know, but I would always be enjoying myself and then look to see where my mom and dad were or my brother or sister, somebody I knew, and that meant I could go back to enjoying what I was doing. But the moment, and I remember we were in the monkey house. (laughs) She says this is so clear as day. We were in the monkey house, and I, for some reason, liked monkeys, uh, especially when they started, you know, like chasing each other. And, and I remember being mesmerized by these monkeys and then all of a sudden looking to my left where my mom and dad should have been or my brothers or sisters and nobody was there. And immediately, I didn't care about the monkeys anymore. My heart started pounding and I started running and they were in the next room over, not worried about Brian one bit. I think they're trying to leave me, actually. Uh, but, but as soon as I got to my mom and dad, I could stop worrying and I could huh, enjoy where I was again. That's what God wants us as Christians, how he wants us to live To know that no matter what is taking place around us in this world in front of us, as long as we know we are his children, we are secure in the hands of a father who is eternal and who loves us and who cares for us and who will walk with us even through the darkest valleys of the shadow of death. We don't have to fear because he's with us. That's what John was wanting to to provide. And I think it's so helpful because I know for myself, there were many times growing up, I'd be at a camp service or at a revival service. And as a teenager, especially as a young teenager, I remember hearing them preach about salvation or preach about hell. And, And they would give an invitation and I would sit in my seat or I would be standing at my chair and and all I would here's what I would do forgive me if you think I'm I'm an idiot but forgive me but here's what I would do I would stand there and I would say Jesus I know I prayed to you before if I really didn't mean it back then I really mean it this time 
I believe, would you save me? I saw many, many friends, and then even as a youth pastor, saw many teenagers who had grown up in church much of their life, and they would go to a, they'd go to a camp or a revival service, and, and, and a preacher would preach on salvation, and an invitation would be given, and some would come down, and, and they'd be crying. And I remember talking with them or seeing my friends and, and having someone walk up and say, what's the matter? He said, I just don't know if I'm really saved or not. And you know what we would typically do, and forgive me again, I know this is not the right way, but what we would typically do is go right back through the verses they already know and through a prayer that they had already prayed. And after praying that prayer that they had already prayed, and even for myself, sometimes ask, now, did you really mean it this time? Well, yes, I really meant it this time. Well, then you're saved. But I thought I meant it last time, and I still wasn't sure if I was saved now. And what you eventually do is you just start to internalize that and, and don't tell anybody that you're struggling that way because you don't want someone to know that you continue to struggle with whether or not you truly are a child of God. What I wish I would have known was to just open up the book of 1 John. Because the book of 1 John was written so that you can know that you have eternal life. But what John does not do what John does not do is go back to, well, did you pray a prayer? What John does not go back to is, is do you remember that moment you walked an aisle? John asks questions like, does God show you your sin? If God shows you your sin, that's a chance. You're a child of God. I'm not saying it is, but it's, it's a it's a, it's a part of a proof. Do you confess your sin and repent when God shows you your sin? Now, that's, that's in the next step. God shows you your sin. Now, what do you do with it when God shows you your sin? Do you confess it and, and desire to repent? Because that is, again, a good proof that you are a child of God. And once you see your sin and confess and repent your sin, do you desire to follow the laws, the, the rules, the, 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 the word of God? Do you, do you want to follow the commands of God? This is what John asks. Because that's a good proof that you would have the assurance of salvation. Do you, do you love people who don't love you? That's, that's how Jesus lived and that's how his children should live you see what you don't find as the assurance of salvation in the book of john is isn't is any kind of a prayer or any kind of a, a walking an aisle or, or, or even getting baptized and i don't want to discount those moments that are huge in my life i could take you to the place where i prayed a prayer i could remember it was on july 4th when i got baptized those were huge moments in my life but when john seeks to bring assurance to believers that they truly are children of God. He does not return to past belief, but to present obedience. How do you become a child of God? Believe. And we could go all throughout the New Testament just over and over and over and over to show you, you believe in Jesus to become a child of God. But in the book of 1 John, what you do not find is belief as a proof that you are a child of God. And he uses three characteristics of God to bring assurance in the book of 1 John. He says, God is life. 
And basically, what John is trying to, to get across is if you don't have God, you don't have life. God is life. So if you don't have God, you don't have eternal life. But then God is light. And if you walk in darkness, if you live a life walking in the ways of darkness, you do not have God because God is light and light overcomes the darkness. But he also says God is love, and this is so vital. Because when God shows us our sin, what's the first thing we do? Well, we want to recoil just like Adam and Eve. We want to hide from God because we don't want to go to a holy God with our sin. But here's the thing. God is love. He sent Jesus to die for our sins so that we can take our sins to him, knowing he's already forgiven them if we believe. So John is just going to use these beautiful moments of God is life and God is light and God is love to try to bring believers the assurance that they truly are the Son of God. And two Sundays ago, we were in 1 John chapter number 1, and we were looking at light. And I just want to reread these verses together with you about how the light of God exposes our sin, but then how the love of God allows us to bring our sin to Him. It says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, this is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. God is light. If you walk with God in the light, the light will show you your sin. But if you know that God is love, that does not have to scare you. Because verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us or to purify us from all unrighteousness. That is the love of our God. And John was writing this because there were false teachers false teachers who were coming into the church to say it didn't matter how you live go ahead as long as you can do whatever you want to it doesn't matter god is a spirit and john is saying that's a lie don't believe that if you don't walk in the light you do not have life and then he goes on in chapter two and we didn't get here last time but chapter two verse number one the love of god comes in where we see jesus john says my dear children I write this to you so that you will not sin. We, we're not supposed to sin, right? But if anybody does sin, whew, sounds like me. If anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Oh, yes. So here's the message. If God shows you your sin it's a proof that you're a child of God. And if you confess your sin knowing he is love, that is a proof that you truly are a child of God. But how do we become a child of God? And today I want to I add a little bit of tension. Maybe something you've, you've thought of before. Maybe it's going to challenge you. I hope for every one of you it encourages you. But I want to add a little bit of tension to the word believe this morning believe. Jesus often teaches with tension, or what, what's called a paradox. Jesus says that the way to find your life is lose it, 
He says that it is through giving we receive. And the Prince of Peace brings a sword of division. These paradoxes that, that Jesus uses, but what, 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 ha- what we have to do is we have to hold both of them in tension. We can't come to one end of the spectrum and hold on to this end without keeping the other end of the spectrum tight. We have to hold to, together to both, otherwise we can distort them. But for example, if you take the presence of God, is God everywhere? Is, is God everywhere? Yeah, we, we believe God is everywhere. Is God with you? How can God be with you if he's everywhere? So there's this, this tension. And, and here's the thing. If we come to this side and say, well, God is everywhere, what we have is we have a God who's out there, distant from us, who, who may be in charge of the world, but really doesn't care about my world because he's doing everything. But if we run to this side and we say, well, well, we have a God over here who he's with me. Well, then we want this God to always make our life comfortable and convenient. But but see, we have to hold on to both ends of the spectrum. We have a God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who makes covenants with individuals, who walks with individuals, who very much cares about individuals, but is always working out a plan for the good of the glory of God throughout the whole world. And he works the glory of God throughout the whole world in the lives of individuals. So we have to keep this tension Together, mention that when we pray and God doesn't answer our prayer, do we still say He's good? But He didn't answer my prayer, and it was a good prayer. It was for healing. It was for redemption. He didn't answer it. But we have to hold that intention that he, the intention, we have to hold that God knows what's going on in our lives, but is working all things together for his good in the world. And so today, I want to take this tension of believe, the word faith, and on the other side, I want to pull on the word obedience or works. In 1 John, it's all about the assurance of eternal life. And so we, we shouldn't be surprised, and I'm going to take you through just a few, a few, few scriptures in just a moment, where we see John saying, this is how you know. This is how, this is how you know you're God. This is how you know you have eternal life. And look at 1 John chapter 2, if you have a Bible. Look at verse number 3. 1 John chapter 2, and verse number 3. We know that we have come to know him. Right? That's important. We know that we have come to know him. We know that we have come to know him if we believe. No, if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. Verse 5. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know, this is how we know we are in him. And don't we want to be in him? Absolutely. I am crucified in Christ. 
Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. He says this, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus lived. I'm going to skip chapter 3, and I'm going to go to chapter 4. Look at verse number 7. Chapter 4, verse number 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So if we've been born of God, then we love. Verse five, chapter 5, verse 18. Chapter 5, verse 18. It says, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. If you're born of God, we do not continue to sin. The one, capital O, the capital one, the one who was born of God keeps them safe and the evil one cannot harm them. You're born of God, we don't continue to sin. But then I want to take you to chapter three. We skip chapter three because it's a little bit of a longer passage and I wanted to end with it. Chapter three, verse five. It says this, but... But you know that he appeared, meaning Jesus, so that he might take away our sins. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. And in him is no sin. Notice this. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous. Just as he is righteous, verse 8, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And again, praise the Lord for that. Verse 9, no one who is born of God, that's what we're talking about, being born of God. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Now, it doesn't mean that you are going to live without sin. Remember, we already saw in chapter 2, verse 1, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. But what these verses are telling us is that if we have been born of God, we should not be content to continue to live in sin once that sin has been exposed in our lives. We should confess it knowing God is light and he has shown it to us, but also God is love and he has already forgiven us in Jesus. As soon as we make the moment, take the moment to confess. What I find so interesting about all of these verses when John says, and this is how you know every one of them, he never talks about belief. He keeps saying, if you've been born of God, if you know God, and then he follows it up with, keep his commands, obey his word, live as Jesus did, love one another, do not continue in sin. Anyone who does not do right is not God's child. And over and over, you see that a saving faith, a belief that we want, a belief that provides eternal life, a belief that allows us to become a child of God, that belief always results in a selfless or a surrendered life of a believer. Selfless, surrendered. 
Billy Graham made this statement. Faith that saves has one distinguishing quality. Saving faith is a faith that produces obedience. It is a faith that brings about a way of life. And here's where I go, here's where I go back to this man that said, I believe in God. Believe in God. A belief that doesn't change anything about my life. Is that really a saving belief in God? Martin Luther made this statement, we're saved by faith alone. <laughs> but the faith that saves is never alone. Meaning, we're saved by faith, but we never find faith by itself. We always find faith being worked out in the life of a true believer. So I, I, I know that our time is short. I have three, three things I want to share. The first and the last one are very, very short. I want to spend a little time on the second one. But three thoughts about a saving faith. First, a belief that saves results in a relationship with Jesus Christ. A belief that saves results in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Earlier, we saw these verses from John that talk about how it is if we believe we become children of God, if we believe we can receive life in his name. But as we've gone over the last couple of weeks, if you've been here, Jesus says something in John chapter 17 about eternal life that changes everything. Eternal life is not about living forever. Jesus says in John chapter 17, verse 3, eternal life is knowing. It's a relationship. is knowing God the Father and knowing Jesus Christ the Son. That is what eternal life is. Eternal life is not just a moment when I die, I get to go to heaven. Eternal life is an ongoing relationship that is taking place right now, which makes me want to ask you, do you believe in God in a way that has brought you into a relationship with Jesus Christ? Not a one-day relationship with Jesus Christ when you die, but an ongoing relationship today with Jesus Christ. See, a man can get married and spend all of his time with other women, flirting, talking, sharing with them, and then come back home to get what he wants from his wife, only to leave again and spend his time far away from her. And I think many people who think they believe in God, they, they have a belief that God exists, but so do the demons. But there is no relationship with not just God the Father, but God the Son, Jesus Christ. And, and, and I, what I think is so amazing about this relationship with Jesus is that it's not like we're stepbrothers. Like, he has to give his stuff. I'm, I'm coming into his home, and he has to share. No, he... He gives me his righteousness. He gives me his riches. He gives me his a relationship with his father. He gives that all to me. All I do is believe. That's amazing. But this belief in God 
should lead us to an ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ, which does two things, right? If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, an ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ, it should bring assurance to you that you are a child of God. That's great news. That should bring great assurance to your heart. When things go wrong this week, hey, I'm a child of God. My father is in control. But if you believe in God and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you may want to check to see if you have saving belief. Secondly, a belief that saves results in an obedience to Jesus Christ. I'm going to spend a little bit more time here. I was in my devotions this past week. I was in the book of Hebrews and then ending into the book of James. And, and of course, everything that we've been studying in 1 John has been, is in my mind as I'm reading through Hebrews and then into the book of James. And, and James, is a, James is a tough book. Martin Luther, the man who said, saving faith is never alone. I just lost it. What did he say? Sorry. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. The man that said that, Martin Luther, he was actually opposed to the book of James being taught in schools because the book of james barely mentions christ it's heavy on works and martin luther of course is coming out of the catholic church which is heavy on works as well as a part of salvation so he did not like the book of james himself but james displays a relationship between faith and works that is a concern if you don't understand the whole i want to just want to show you one illustration all the way back in genesis chapter 15 jesus i'm sorry god comes to god god comes to abraham and he makes a covenant with him and he says, Abraham, go outside, look at the stars of the sky. That's how your offspring will be. But Abraham was an old man and had no kids. But look at verse number six. I have it underlined. Chapter 15, verse six. It says, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham went out, looked at the stars of the sky. God said, you're going to have kids like that. And he's like, I can't even believe I'm going to have kids like that. But God said it. I believe it. And it's credited to him as righteousness. Belief. Only belief. The Apostle Paul picks up on this in Romans chapter 4, much later in the New Testament. He's trying to make a case to these Romans. Faith comes, justification comes only by believing, not through your works. And he uses this passage in Romans chapter 4. Paul says this, If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Why was Abraham considered righteous? Because he believed God. But James picks it up and puts a little twist on it. I'm going to read you verse number from, from verse number 20 in James 2. It says this. You can tell just straight up where James is, how James has a little bit of a rough side. You foolish person. <laughs> That's nice. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Some translations would say faith without works is dead. Then notice what he says. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous? Now, what did we just hear? For believing in God, right? But James says, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. 
And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not faith alone? Whoa, we got problems. Like the Apostle Paul says so clearly, faith alone james comes along and says no no it's not faith alone it's faith and works what too bad jesus can't get in the mix of this one huh he'd solve it oh, but he does i just want to show you one passage we're almost done it brings it together john chapter 8 jesus is talking to a group of pharisees this is jesus speaking this is what he says i told you that you would die in your sins if you do not what do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Well, who are you? They asked. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. And get these words. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. Yes. Jesus is talking, telling them who he is. And as he's telling people who he is, many believed in him. So they're now, that's what, it's, that's what it takes to be a child of God. Belief. That's what it takes for eternal life. Belief. But the next verse, Jesus starts off this. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What Jesus does not say here, to me, is huge. He doesn't say, now that you have believed, you are free to go live your life however you desire. All that matters is that you believed. He doesn't say that. But we have to be very careful here. Because I, I what I don't want to do is provide someone with a false sense of assurance that it takes, a moment of, it takes a moment of belief and then you can go live your life however you want to. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters after that. That's a false sense of assurance. But neither do I want to provide anybody with this false sense of salvation that you earn your salvation through works. That is not true. You are saved by faith alone. But what Jesus is saying you are saved by faith alone, but the way that you know you have a saving faith in me is that the works of your life will display it. We have to have faith, but that faith has to be displayed by works, which means that faith is not, faith is not the evidence of being a child of God. I'm sorry. Faith is the avenue to becoming a child of God. 
Faith is not the evidence of being a child of God. It's the avenue to becoming a child of God. And faith is the way we continue to grow as a child of God. We just continue to grow through faith. We deepen our relationship. But the deeper we go, the more our lives should be displaying in obedience to his commands. Amen. That's a result of saving faith comes through obedience. And I am not, I have to make myself so clear. I am not advocating for works of salvation. This is the furthest thing from that. Salvation comes by faith alone in the person and in the work of Jesus. Period. Nothing. Belief alone. Faith alone. Period. But that faith, if it's true, saving faith is going to be displayed by the way we live our lives. I have more to say, but I gotta, I gotta finish. Sorry. Number three, last. Oh, okay, I'll, I'll keep going then. All right. Here's what I would tell you then. Here's what I was about to skip. The obedient part. The obedience part of your salvation, it's not hard to do if you have that relationship with Jesus already in place. Right? That's why we started off with a saving faith leads us to a relationship with Jesus. And obedience to, obedience to Jesus through that saving faith is not going to be difficult if you really have that relationship with Christ. It's like, well, we skipped this verse, so let me go back to it. 1 John 5 in fact, this is love for God to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome how many of you think the commands of god are burdensome my i'm to be honest with you sometimes obeying god it's hard sometimes obeying god is a struggle you know why because i don't love god enough if i loved him with all my heart all my soul all my strength i would know that everything he asks me to do Everything he asks me to do is truly for my joy. But what I do is I know what I want for joy, and I want to do this to get joy, and God asks me to do this, and I'm like, I don't want to do that. I want to do this because this will bring me joy. And what God knows is there is greater joy in your obedience to me than you will ever find in obedience to yourself. What's his command? <laughs> I just love this. You gotta follow his commands follow his commands and this is his command to believe in the name of his son jesus christ and to love one another as he commanded us oh, that's what he wants us to do believe in jesus why 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 does he want us so badly to believe in jesus yes it's for saving faith but also as we believe in jesus for saving faith we live a life of obedience and obedience that results in great glory to jesus and all i will reference here is hebrews chapter 11 Hebrews chapter 11 is called the hall of faith and of the first 31 verses the majority of those verses start off with two words by faith By faith a person's name or a group of people and then an action that they did by faith Noah by faith Moses by faith Abraham and then he, the author actually says I don't even have time to tell you about people like David and Samson and Samuel 
Wow. But that faith, as I read it, I don't go, wow, these are great people. You know what I read? These are people that did great things that all are sinners that are in heaven today because they had faith in God, a saving faith that came out through obedience and the world saw their faith and were so amazed. They're like, what a God. That's the kind of life we should be living where people come across us and our faith in God is so strong and we have a relationship with Jesus that is so tight and we desire so much to obey his word that people look at us and say, you don't live like anybody else. You do things different than anybody else. And we could say yes, because we serve an awesome God and he asked me to love people who don't love me. That's, that's our God. So, what are you going to do by faith this week? I received uh, an email from Paul Tripp, not like a personal email from Paul Tripp, sorry. <laughs> I know Pastor Mike would be jealous. Uh, but I received a, a devotional from Paul Tripp, and th this is basically what he said. He described a, a lady's name. Her name is Selena. This is what he said about her. Tell me if this, if this kind of lines up with you. Selena loved the gospel. Never missed her morning devotional reading and had Alexa belting Christian music throughout her house all day long. If the doors of her church building were open, she was there. If a Christian conference or concert came to her city, she'd probably go. On the surface, everything looked fine with Selena, but Selena lived in constant fear. Somehow the big transforming gospel that she consumed every day hadn't freed her from the perpetual real world, real world bondage to fear. Selena lived with a gap, and here's where I think many Christians, she lived with a gap between the doctrine she said she believed and the way she actually lived her life. The dichotomy became a workroom for the enemy. And the enemy of your soul will happily allow you to have the correct doctrine if in your practical daily life he can control the thoughts and the motives of your heart. And in so doing, control the way you act, react, and respond. If we really believe saving faith in the God who created the whole world, he was eternally existent, he created the world, and then he left the glories of heaven to walk the streets of this earth to offer himself as a sacrifice for the sins that we committed so we can have a relationship with the Father that where he is sitting on the right hand of the Father right now interceding for us and one day we will go to him if that's the God we truly believe in what are we worried about he's our God he's our Father he's taking care of us and all we have to do is believe but that belief will result in obedience. Not for